0: Today's reading is taken from Colossians, chapter 4, starting at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. And let's pray. So Father, we pray now that you would come and speak to us. Speak to our hearts and to our minds. Show us ways in which we can take your message into our own lives. To live out all that we know who you are in our lives today. Amen. So our final sermon in the book of Colossians, we've been on quite a journey. And if we just think back to what we've been uh, looking at, we've thought initially a lot about theology, about our minds, what's been going on, how we understand our faith and that whole sense of the centrality of Christ. The people of Colossae didn't need to add anything to their faith as their false teachers were encouraging them. They knew the truth in their heads and they had to remember that Christ was central to everything, sufficient for all their needs. So Paul, focused first on remember what your faith is all about. Remember who Christ is. Remember what he has done for you, what he means to you and that you need nothing else. He then went on to talk about what that means in our actions. If we know Christ in our lives, what does that look like in our lives? How do we behave in a way that we are like Christ in the way that we are living? And we've had a few weeks on thinking through that. What do our lives look like? How should we reflect what Christ has done in the way that we live? And now we turn to final instructions, where Paul is turning to proclamation, to proclaiming Christ, to being able to talk about who we know and how we live. He's saying that our faith is not something private. It's not something that we keep to ourselves. Rather, because of all that we know, because of who we know, because of what Christ has done for us, that should drive us to be people who proclaim Christ. Living the life, but now having the language, being able to speak to others, about what our faith means to us. And for most of us, the word evangelism is the hardest word out. Talking about Christ fills us with fear and trepidation. Does that mean I've got to go and stand on my soapbox in the middle of the high street, proclaiming Christ? And actually, Paul isn't saying that. Just in that the way our lives should reflect Christ... He's also saying the way we talk about Christ should be something natural and instinctive. The way he writes isn't add this on as an extra. He writes it in almost like a PS at the end, talking about himself with the expectation that the way he is living is the way that everybody should be living. He's asking these people to pray for him in his work of proclamation and he in turn prays for them. That they will be able to speak of Christ in their lives. And luckily he gives us some help. Luckily he helps us thinking how we might do that. Because generally speaking, this is the thing that fills us with most horror. There's been massive challenges in lifestyle. But we can take that on board because in some ways that is quite private. That's between us and God. People see it. But the change and the transformation is within ourselves. Actually opening our mouths and speaking is making us very vulnerable, can be very scary, and we wonder how on earth and where might we do that. So in these very small number of verses, we've got three ways in which Paul encourages us how we might be able to speak more clearly. Prayer, using every opportunity, and knowing our story. Three very simple things. Prayer, using every opportunity, and knowing our story. I just want to look at these. So if if you want to turn your Bibles, we're on page 1184, Colossians chapter 4. And if you look at verse 2, and look at the language that Paul is using. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Don't squeeze in five minutes here and there. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. And he recognises in his own life and in what God has been doing in him how vital prayer actually is. The fact that he is asking to be prayed for. can actually be the most natural thing. Sometimes we're embarrassed to ask for people to pray for us. That should be the thing we ask most when we come here on a Sunday. Please pray for me. Because we need to be prayed for and we need to pray for others. And Paul isn't embarrassed or too proud to ask for prayer. We need to be prayed for and to pray. As a large part of our lives, not that little bit squeezed in here and there. Devote yourselves to prayer. And then he goes on and says, being watchful and thankful. So how do we pray being watchful and thankful? Keep on praying. But look at how you pray. Don't give up after one session. But watch what God is doing. If we believe that God is at work, if we believe that Christ transforms, let's keep our eyes open almost literally as we pray to watch what God is doing. So if we're thinking about those people around us who don't know Christ and we think, how on earth can we pray for them? Look at what is going on in their lives. Notice their needs and observe what God is doing in them. We often think that the very first time someone hears of God is when we speak to them about it. And how arrogant are we? God is at work in the world. And very often we can actually have a conversation with somebody and be amazed at how God is already at work in their lives. We shouldn't be amazed because that's the wonderful thing about God. He is at work in the world at large. And therefore we should be noticing and looking at what God is doing. So pray with watchfulness and be thankful. Pray specifically. If your neighbour has had a bereavement, pray for that. That somehow they'll know God's comfort. If your work colleague is really stressed, pray for Christ's peace in their life. Be specific. But watch who people are and what god is doing and when we see those markers of god's presence you know occasionally at a, a funeral or at a wedding i'll have people talking to me afterwards and they'll say "Oh, i haven't been in church since i was a child but there was a real sense of something that's god at work the fact that they can articulate they don't know what it is but they can articulate some feeling of it felt special listen for that language because people are meeting God and not actually knowing who he is but they will use language that is saying there's something going on here and then pray into that and I should pray more and more for those people whose names I don't even know but remembering that they felt something in this place and as they leave I should be praying that that sense will go with them and that they'll meet somebody else who might be able to fit in some of the, the puzzle for them the extra piece of jigsaw or the one of 500, you might be piece number three. Watch what God is doing in people's lives and pray and be thankful. How we forget to thank God. And that can make prayer really hard work. We move on to the next thing immediately. But let's give thanks for what God has been doing, how He has helped us, for the opportunities that He has given us, and give Him thanks. That changes our perspective too. It helps us to to look with God's perspective. To go back to him and thank him for what he is doing. Rather than our little, oh my goodness me, I don't know what I'm doing. It lifts our prayers. Giving thanks to God for who he is and what he is doing. So prayer is vital. If we want to be able to proclaim who Christ is, we need to pray. And it needs to be a huge part of our lives. Church is a place for that, our own individual life. But I'd like to suggest that home groups can be a very special place for this. Where we can actually share our concerns for people we know. That we can commit to pray as a group for somebody's work colleague. And that in that safe place, we can actually pray by name for people. So it doesn't feel that the burden is only resting on our shoulders. There's a group praying for particular people in particular contexts. Another reason why home groups are such an important place. So that's the first thing that Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Second hint in how we proclaim Christ is to use every opportunity. So verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Darren talked about the different translations of Bibles and how sometimes we can get different meanings when we read them. I'm I'm not a Hebrew or a Greek scholar at all. But being able to understand what the original word meant can often give us a different interpretation. So the, the word that says make the most of every opportunity actually means to buy back or to redeem. To redeem every opportunity. So what that then means in practice is that Paul isn't saying create opportunities. He's saying use what's there. An opportunity arises and redeem it to be able to speak about Christ. So it's not jumping in and thinking I've got to jump in with my words here. I'm sitting on a plane. I'm only on this plane for three hours. How am I going to quickly say something to my neighbour? When I was at university, there was a a very sincere couple who preached like that and would stand on the street every Friday, Saturday and Sunday with banners and preaching. And they'd come and knock on your doors. And they loved it when the students were in town because there's more doors to knock on. And and one day in my house, I got a knock on the door and um, this lady was standing. And as I opened the door, her opening phrase was, Are you saved by the blood of the Lamb? Not a great start, is it? If you do know what it means, you're annoyed by it. If you don't know what it means, is that going to encourage you? But she really believed, and she was very sincere, and I'm not going to criticise her sincerity, but she believed that that was the way to proclaim Christ. It was actually on the streets, it was more hellfire and brimstone, which again wasn't overly encouraging. And I think we often are concerned that evangelism means taking every opportunity that there is, wherever we are and there's some poor unsuspecting person next to us, we turn and basically try to convert them. And that isn't what Paul is saying. He's saying, opportunities are out there. Don't miss out on them. Opportunities present themselves. Make the most of them. Redeem them and use them. Bishop Michael, when he came to speak at our church weekend away, spoke about this. And and he spoke about his fear of speaking about Christ. Bishop Michael's in his mid-80s and is a a sincere man who speaks strongly of Christ. And to think that he feared actually going up to a stranger and speaking was quite startling, I think, for those of us who heard that. And he he made a deal with God. He said, God, I'm not going to, to jump in and create opportunities But what I promise is that if you put an opportunity before me, I will pick it up. And I think he grasped what this is all about. When the opportunities present themselves, don't lose them. Pick up on the comments that others make and respond. What does that look like in practice? Some ideas from a book written by a man called James Lawrence who's talking about how we speak. It's called Lost for Words. That's often what we feel isn't it but think about some of the things that people say around you that present as opportunities that we could just not even notice but could be there moments that we could use so somebody might say to us what is it about you you're always so happy how are we going to respond well not really or you've changed you seem less anxious or we're out with work colleagues oh come on it's just a bit of fun stay How are we going to respond when someone says that? What about when someone asks us about our use of time? What are you doing over the weekend? What do you say? Do you tell them about Saturday and forget about Sunday, gloss over it? What are your hobbies? Why are Wednesday nights never any good for you? Are we going to own up to the truth about who we are? Or you hear people talk about their family lives. You might hear a friend say, We're having Sarah done next Sunday, obviously meaning a baptism. Or somebody else saying, I don't want to get married in a church, but Michael's pretty insistent. Or I won't be in tomorrow, it's Uncle Ted's funeral. These are opportunities presented to us without us even having to dream up what to say. How are we going to respond? All sorts of opportunities, there's pages of these ideas of the things that people say or we might be asked that present as opportunities. And Paul is saying, make the most of them. And I'm relieved that, maybe it is just a cop-out, but I'm relieved that I don't have to sit in a plane and try and convert the person sitting next to me. Because it doesn't feel very natural. But if the person sitting next to me turns and says, tell me about yourself, what am I going to say? And here is my real honest thing. I have been going to the same hairdresser for about ten years. I have never told her what I do. And there's something in me that is it's partly to do with actually this is my time off and I really enjoy going to the hairdresser and I don't have to think about anything. But what a cop-out. And we, we fiddle around. I think she thinks I don't work. I think she thinks I'm a kept woman. But the challenge when she talks to me about her life about some situation that's going on, about her sister who hasn't been able to have children and is adopting. What am I saying into that? And I need to be bolder and braver. And I'll tell you if I manage it. <laughs> so make the most of every opportunity. Steeped in prayer, we become more aware of the opportunities around us. Pray that we might be alert to those moments when we can respond. And then thirdly, Paul says, know your story. Verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Know your story. It's interesting that he uses the word conversation, which is again this sense of it being a dialogue that we join into. It's not a rehearsed spiel, it's not a sermon that we need to have primed ready in our head. If someone says this, this is how I'm going to respond. It's a natural dialogue and conversation. But as such, we need to be able to speak into that. And we need to have confidence that what we are saying might be sowing seeds. Not assuming that we're going to solve any particular situation. And if we think of Jesus, of course he is the prime example of how to do this. Of how to speak naturally. But yet knowing the story that he has. And having the answers. So think of the, the story of the road to Emmaus. Jesus has died. He's been, well, he's been crucified. He's died. He's risen. But some of his friends are unaware of the fact that he's risen. And two of them walking back to, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Absolutely distraught. And a stranger comes alongside them and says, Why are you so sad? What a great opener, isn't it? Maybe that's something we could think about. If we see somebody that we know well who looks sad, will we actually say to them, what's going on? Why are you so sad? They don't know who he is. And he speaks to them as they travel home. And I took some things from this. What can we learn from Jesus in the way that he was able to help them, to unfold scriptures to them, to help them to understand and ultimately to see who he was? Well, firstly, he took people where they were. He didn't say, you have to wait till you reach this point and then I'm going to explain. He took them where they were, in their state of disappointment, desolation. We had hoped, is what they say. All their hopes have been shattered. And Jesus meets them in that point. Take people where they are. And he waited for them. Again, he didn't come up. He could have come and said, I'm here. He could have revealed himself immediately. But he didn't. He chose to go at their pace and waited for their prompting and their questions. And he was able to cope with their sadness, their doubt and their anger. I think we've got to learn a lot about that. It's so easy to come in with Christian platitudes with God everything's hunky-dory. No, it's not. But holding that place of pain and sitting with it possibly for weeks or for years but being able to share that burden of sadness of doubt of anger he also had knowledge to be able to answer their questions of course he did he was jesus but he was able to answer their questions and in doing so he added an explanation to what they already knew let's not assume people know nobody let's find out what they do know and let's add to that rather than going back to the beginning. It's about taking them for where they are at, listening to them, hearing them, and then adding in, and joining in in the conversation. I think there's two sides to that. The one side is about, what am I able to say about myself? And the second is about being prepared with some answers. I'm going to, i prepared this the other way around, but I'm going, to, I'm going to start with being prepared with some answers. It is helpful if we are actually able to answer some of the questions that might be asked. If we want to take this seriously, we've got to do a little bit of work in advance to think how we might answer some questions. And whilst we don't want to Bible bash, a little bit of understanding really does help. So having thought through some of the things that people are dealing with, Having thought through how we might respond is a very helpful tool. So, think of the number of people that will have spoken to you about how they struggle to believe in a God who allows bad things to happen. I would imagine every single one of us has heard that at some time. It might be in response to a world tragedy, the tsunami, and what you'll hear is how could a loving God let something like that happen? How are we going to answer that? Firstly, let's be honest. Let's acknowledge how we struggle with some of these questions rather than assuming that we've got it all sussed. But maybe explore a little bit further. What do you think God would be like? Who is the God that you think would allow this to happen? Let them describe this God who's willingly causing people to die. And then say, well actually that's not the God I believe in either. I might not be able to understand this but the God I believe in is a loving God who cares for his people, who's weeping as he sees his people die. Then you've got a way in, haven't you? But you have to have thought that through in advance. So thinking about some of the big questions of life that we struggle with, if we begin to explore them for ourselves, then at least we've done some preparation to know how to respond to other people. Another advert here. Cafe Church is a good place for this. A place where we can explore some of the bigger questions of life. And rather than just be spoken at, there's an opportunity to discuss, to take some bite sized chunks of, of input, and then to explore it deeper within a group around a table. Looking at some of the big issues. This evening we have Cafe Church at half past five. Again, it's the last one before the summer break. The theme we're looking at this evening, is slightly changed to what was on your program. But we're going to think about who is God and what is he like? Who is God and what is he like? And it's not going to be about big theological essays. It's going to be about everyday language, our understanding. And exploring that for ourselves helps us to think how we might respond to somebody else. So being prepared with some answers is actually really important if we want to make the most of every opportunity. The other side of the coin is knowing our own story. The most powerful thing we have to share is ourselves. Can we talk about who Christ is in our lives and what he means to us? That has the most powerful impact. Being able to answer questions is really important, but I would stress being able to talk about ourselves. Who am I? What has Christ meant to me? How am I going to talk about that? Problem is that none of us think our stories are particularly special. We're used to reading all those Christian books of people who can say, once I was a drug dealer and now I've come to Christ, my life has changed. The big name speakers, or the people who've had miraculous healings. I was watching one um, the other day on a course I was looking at, of a man who who was bitten by a jellyfish and died and came back to life again and has this remarkable story to tell. I think, how can I compete with that? I grew up in a Christian family. I knew God all my life. And I just got to know him deeper and deeper throughout my life. But that's my story. That is my story that's really precious. Growing up as a child, knowing that God loved me. That's what's made me. And that's what I have to share So do we know our own stories? Can we articulate them? Because believe me, they will have more impact than 101 really well-spoken sermons. If that's something you struggle with, to actually know your own story, and you'd like to explore that further, do come and talk to me, because there are tools. This book that I've just read from, there's a course that helps us to know our story, to be able to articulate it, and to give us confidence to be able to make the most of every opportunity. Again, you won't be out on the streets Bible bashing, but it gives a confidence in, in your own faith story, knowing it for yourself, which is really precious, but then being able to share that with others in a natural way. If people would love to, I'd love to put on that course, and we can think of different ways in which we can do that. But I think it's vital that we know our story. So, three things if we are going to be able to proclaim Christ in our life prayer. Be devoted in prayer, being watchful and thankful, making the most, using every opportunity, seeing it for what it is, and not being shy, and being able to take it and redeem it and sow a seed. And then thirdly, know our story and be prepared to answer. It's quite simple when you break it down. That sounds much easier than knocking on a door and asking if someone's saved by the blood of the Lamb. (laughs) And if we've learned anything from the book of Colossians, it should have inspired us so much to really know Christ in our lives. To allow him to transform our very being, the way that we live, Not just to sit here, but to go out into the world that others might know who Christ is. And in the autumn term, that's the direction we want to go in our sermon series. We've spent a lot of time going deeper. That was our weekend away theme. And we've spent a lot of this last academic year about deepening our own faith, our own roots. Which is brilliant, and I love that. But it's only good if it then inspires us to go out into the world. So in the autumn, October onwards, we're going to look at a series called Game Changers. We're going to look at people in Acts, the the early church, men predominantly and some women, who actually were game changers, who by the way they lived, had an impact in the communities in which they lived. Colossians takes us on that journey reminds us of who christ is makes a series about our own life but then takes us out into the world so this might be the end of this series but it's only the end of part one do pray over the summer do pray over some of the issues that we've been looking at do talk to me do talk to me about what would help you on your journey And let's come back in September. We're having this lovely series over the summer looking at Narnia, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. But let's be ready for the autumn term. Ready to be game changers in our own communities. Which is not scary because it's just being who we are and using the places that God has put us to make a difference. Amen.